Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbui Bomani, here with a new guest from NFC North Report IG page that I like. And I was waiting to have this opportunity to bring one of these guys on as a guest. It's a group type um, IG page, and they produce content about various NFC North teams. And here today, I have one of those guys that's involved with it. Would you like to introduce yourself, talk about your page, and um, what you want to continue to produce as a product? Uh, what's up, guys? I'm Max. Um, I'm kind of the guy that does all the graphics and um, long analysis, along with some of the other guys that you'll see, Nate, Jack, Peyton, Jason, and, of course, Lucas. Um, you know, we're really just an Instagram page provided, or, sorry, not provided, uh, founded on, um, you know, expressing our opinions and kind of creating this interactive content that hopefully people like. So with your page, does it, it's one of those things where it's like all of you guys focus on a certain team every week or every month, or is it kind of like you guys focus on your niche? You say you're the analysis type dude. So you covered the analytical perspective for all of the teams in the NFC North. How, do, how does that work with such a, you know, huge type of group that helps create the page into what it is? Mm -hmm. So essentially I'll send out um, probably every week, you know, questions for the guys to answer and then that goes into the posts. Um, now a big thing is like rating uh, past performances. So whether that's Aaron Rodgers quarterback play in uh, 2020 and 2021, now I've moved on to running back and wide receiver and throughout the off season, um, you're going to see a lot more of that. And that's mainly because, you know, there's not, a, there's not a lot of news happening. There's obviously not a lot of games happening. And um, with that comes kind of, you know, not a lot of content. So it's that interactive content where we're expressing our opinions and then letting our followers, you know, provide feedback that I, I think makes our page pretty special. So my next question is why the NFC North? Um, it's obviously a division in the NFC, of course, but what made you guys pick that division to cover? Did it come down to all you guys in, in totality liked a specific team from that division or was it something that from a regional perspective you feel like you could gravitate towards due to the resources you had? Um, so I'm from Chicago as are all the, you know, all my friends, all the people who are on it. Um, however, we are not all Bears fans. Everyone on that page represents a different team um, and that's kind of their expertise. So the NFC North was really chosen just because of the teams that we like and we could express our passion towards a page and that gives us more incentive to you know run it to the best of our abilities. When did you guys as a collective continue to work on a page and realize, man, this could really start blowing up into one of the go-to sites on Instagram? So I founded um, NFC North Report in 2018. And I believe that we hit uh, 5,000 followers the summer of 2019. And that's kind of when I brought these guys on, um, mostly because I was starting high school then. And I realized that I was not going to have enough time to you know, produce quality analysis, uh, quality graphics, and post and gain followers every day um, you know, without the help of these other guys. And that's, that's pretty much when um, you know, everyone else started getting involved. And with that, um, you guys continue to check out his page, NFC North Report. It's got great content. Even for a guy like myself, who is a Saints fan, so my expertise is mainly focused on the NFC South, but it's a pretty good page that, you know, everybody should check out and, you know, give it a shot. And from there, no problem. 
And from there, we're going to go on the first topic that I have dealing with an NFC North team known as the Detroit Lions. They got Jerry Goff in a recent trade um, as they moved on from Matthew Stafford. Both kind of moved on mutually parted ways. And the bigger question I have is with Jerry Goff, can Detroit become victorious in his era of football? Um, Goff throughout his career has amassed over 100 touchdowns, 50 plus interceptions. And he's had moments in his career where he's played particularly well. First two years with Sean McVay, 60 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Last two years, he was more so 42 touchdowns, 29 picks. And the narrative on Goff has been when he has a solid running game behind him, he's a particularly productive quarterback when he has to put the game in his hands and the responsibilities hiding on his shoulders, he's been a little inept. And so with Detroit, Anthony Lynn's going to be offensive coordinator. No, Dan Campbell's going to be the head coach. They're finally going to be a more balanced football team in terms of running the football more. And so with that correlating to golf strengths, can Detroit be successful with him being the starting quarterback? One of the reasons I liked um, the golfer Stafford trade so much is because Detroit did not have to commit to Jared Goff. Um, I believe after two years, they can cut him with very little cap reparations. And because of that, I don't think that Jared Goff will be the long-term answer in um, Detroit. Uh, you can't win with Rashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams as your wide receiver too especially when you've been playing with Cooper Cup um, and Robert Woods your entire career. Um, that being said, it's also a major downgrade to go to Sean McVay um, to now Anthony Lynn, who did not find success with the Chargers, specifically in his game management. Um, and that's really what Goff is best at. He's a game manager. I think that Detroit will look to either draft a quarterback this year. I don't think that that will happen. I think that they'll take a wide receiver. This class is so deep. That's another thing. And I think that um, next year with either uh, Howell or Rattler coming out, I think that Detroit might look to take a QB to uh, replace golf. Yeah, you said it best. You're starting from the ground up offensively. They're going to be relatively green, but in reverse, Tyrell Williams is probably going to be their best receiver. And he's entering the upper age of 30. And it doesn't seem as if he's going to get any better. He is who he is at this point of his career. Prashad Perryman had a couple of stints with the Jets and the Buccaneers, showcasing that he isn't always going to drop the football, but maybe he's maxed out as a talent from a ceiling perspective as well. And so they're at that eight spot, and you've acknowledged more than likely they're going to go receiver. But they also have that situation with their defense. It's relatively young. Their front seven hasn't really been able to get a pass rush consistently since the days in the Dominican Sioux and Nick Fairley. And so with Detroit with that eight selection, you acknowledge golf's not the long-term answer, but it does seem as of now they're going all in on golf for the foreseeable present. And so with that, do you try to populate him with the amount of weapons that coincide with his strengths or continue to kind of rebuild that defense, which we saw last year's draft when they took Jeff Okuda, they're really trying to establish a new identity on that side of the football as well. Absolutely right. I think that they're going to go defense because I think that um, Brad Holmes down at Detroit, he knows that golf isn't the answer. He knows that quarterbacks keep getting better and better. And I've said this before, um, to, be, to be a very successful quarterback in the league, you need two things. You need um, arm strength, which golf isn't really great at, and you need uh, to be mobile, which again, golf really doesn't excel at that. I think that they're going to look to bolster their defense. Um, most likely Micah Parsons. He comes to mind at seven. He's basically Roquan Smith with a jetpack, and he's he can really, really solve, uh, you know, the linebacking problems in Detroit. 
I do agree. I also in a mob draft that I made a couple of weeks back, I had Michael Parsons going to Detroit at seven, mainly because he fits kind of the versatility mode at linebacker that Detroit's kind of been trying to have. Obviously, Mike Matt Patricia isn't there anymore, and Dan Campbell's there, but you know, the defensive identity in terms of versatility and whatnot, that's the new norm at the linebacker position. We saw it with Isaiah Simmons going so high last season. Um, is it fair to say this, though, about Detroit offensively? Anthony Lynn, the narrative on him is game management-wise as a head coach, is one of the main reasons why he's no longer HCing it in Los Angeles. A lot of people think he's a very good offensive coordinator in comparison to his HC days. And he's had a tendency throughout his young career, throughout his offensive coordinating career to produce top tier rushing offenses with Detroit more than likely going to try to be as balanced as possible. Could you see the emergence of a DeAndre Swift profit in this offense? No. And here's why. I think that Jamal Williams, who's a veteran, who's a locker room guy, who's a fan, who was a fan favorite in Green Bay. He's going to take a lot away from DeAndre Swift. I'm about as big as a Swift fan as they get. I called um, after he dropped that touchdown in Chicago. I went, I traded for him in fantasy because I was like, this kid is going to be good. Uh, with that being said, I think that that emergence is going to have to wait another year once Williams leaves. However, I think that Swift is the future in Detroit. Fair point, fair point. So you said golf isn't a long-term answer. Due to that, you don't see success happening in Detroit. What ideally would be the perfect case scenario for the Lions as we head into this season? They're going to have their draft pick. They're going to pick somebody that's going to obviously start from day one. What would be the prototypical successful season for a Detroit Lions fan as they move into the new football season? You're not going to win a lot of games in Detroit this season, and I don't even care about the roster. Just looking at their schedule, it is so difficult. I think that the best thing that the Lions can do is establish a winning culture with Dan Campbell, something that they have not had in a very long time. And hopefully um, as the years progress, players will want to actually, you know, sign with Detroit. We had Richard Sherman about a year ago saying that he got more money from Detroit than San Francisco, but he didn't want to sign in Detroit because of how bad historically they are. Um, that also involves, you know, the Fords kind of getting more involved and becoming more likable. But overall, it really starts with Dan Campbell. I agree. And we pivot from one team in the Motor City to another team in the Windy City, the Chicago Bears. They continue to have the quarterback conundrum that they've probably had since me and you have been alive. Um, the running joke throughout the NFL is everybody agrees that maybe their best quarterback in franchise history was Jay Cutler, which isn't a good thing. And right now they have another predicament in Andy Dalton, possibly, not even possibly, most definitely going to start for them week one this season. They picked 20th in the draft, and obviously Kyle Fuller's not there anymore. But defensively, while they are getting a little bit older on that side of the football, for lack of a better term, we would expect them to be a solid defense once again. But offensively, they're not going to reach their fullest potential with an aptitude at the quarterback play. Andy Dalton's 32, 33-ish. Um, his best days are behind him. As a matter of fact, his best day was 2015 when he threw 25 touchdown passes and seven interceptions. Take that year out, he's a mixed bag. And since he's going to be QB1 for these guys, is it vital for this football team to pick some type of a quarterback in the draft this season and hope that they can grow and evolve him into being their franchise, you know, placeholder down the line? 
quite frankly, I think the only option they have through the draft would be Kellen Mon. Mon um, fits my prototype of you know a mobile guy with a massive arm. Um, Lance Fields, uh, obviously Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones are all going to be long gone by pick twenty. So unless they want to trade up and take a risk, which I don't think is out of the picture because I also don't think that Ryan Pace trusts Andy Dalton with his uh, job, I don't think that the Bears will take a quarterback in the draft outside of Kellen Mond. However, that being said, um, if the Bears do take Mond, I would be in full support of the move because either Dalton plays poorly throughout the season and Mond comes in and lights it up, um, Dalton plays well in the season, and then you solved your quarterback problem for this year. Or um, Dalton, you know, doesn't play well. Mond doesn't play well. Then you're looking at probably a top five draft pick for next year when you can go after Howell and uh, Rattler. Right. Um, I've heard the name Kellen Mond be a common prospect that Chicago is highly interested on. The big issue with Mond is he is raw. He has a huge arm, but when you turn on the tape, he's wildly inaccurate. Um, he's kind of like, in my opinion, probably a more raw version of Colin Kaepernick when he came out of Nevada. And so you have to really be confident that the coaching staff in Chicago is going to develop him into something that they can reap benefits towards moving forward. So there's no guarantee Nagy and Pace are going to be there long term beyond this year. Is it something that upper management and ownership, such as, you know, guys that run the Chicago Bears is that a transaction they want to make or do they play it safe in this draft and feel like you know what we're going to rebuild our offensive identity next year when we have a new coaching regime I don't think that they will do that and that's probably because Ryan Pace and Matt Maggie could not care less about the team if they are in fact fired next year so if Pace truly doesn't um, trust Andy Dalton and I don't think he does I think that he will throw a boatload of picks at either the Lions and they tried to trade for Stafford or the Falcons for someone like Justin Fields at pick number four. In all likelihood, what will it probably take for Chicago to get into the top five to get their quarterback? And if that's a likelihood, would a team like an Atlanta consider making a deal with Chicago and be willing to trade down? Because for a team like Atlanta to move down, obviously they've acknowledged that Matt Ryan's going to be their guy beyond just next season. So it's going to take a depth and a boatload of picks. And their first three picks are in the bottom half of each round in the first, second, and third. Um, is it going to take not just those, but future picks for them to move in a top five scenario? Oh, absolutely. Chicago would have to trade their first round pick next year and probably a few second and thirds. And so when you look at this team and its totality, they do have a lot of great skill position type players. Allen Robinson signed his franchise tag and what he's been able to do with the carousel quarterbacks at that position in Chicago has been unbelievable. They've liked Darnell Mooney so much that Anthony Miller's been on the trading block. The weapons are there. Cole Committee has shown flashes. David Montgomery literally ran Chicago into the playoffs the back half of the year. Um, albeit the quarterback situation is very muddled. Is there enough bright spots on their offensive side of the football at other skill positions that make you feel like there's something there of a pulse that Chicago has offensively? I think that the only pulse that they have and that they've had um, since 2017 is Tariq Cohen. I mean, I cannot talk enough about that guy. He's energetic. He's a fan favorite. 
he's really everything an offense should be. He's a more, more likable version of Tyreek Hill, I think. And if the Bears want to make a run for the playoffs, and I don't think that they will, um, Tariq Cohen has to be that guy. He has to step up. He has to have another year like 2017 where he was running um, 30 yards you know, backwards before returning a punt um, to, to the crib. So I think that Tariq Cohen will really be the X factor in Chicago next season. We go on Chicago's other side of the football defensively. They traded Kyle. Well, they didn't trade. They cut Kyle Fuller. They thought about trading Eddie Jackson when they were entertaining the chance of getting Russell Wilson. That has not happened, and it's left Eddie Jackson feeling a little bit disgruntled. Akeem Hicks has embraced a potential trade. It's safe to say those guys on the defensive side are probably going to come back next year. Are you willing to say this might be the final installment of that Chicago defensive core this season? before the organization turns the page and goes anew on that side of the football as well? I think Hicks would be the only one that would uh, leave next year because they just signed Eddie Jackson. Cleo Mack is still under contract until 2024, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, Jalen Johnson, you know, showed flashes of brilliance. So did uh, Kendall Bildor, actually, um, and Duke Shelley. So I think that the Bears are defensively in a better spot than people think over Hicks will be gone after next year. That's a good point. Moving on to Green Bay uh, for two years in a row, they've been in the NFC championship game that they've lost. And I've been one of the main guys that have championed the fact that that may be the window for that team under the tutelage of Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position. He's advocated for an extension the organization's not going to give it to them, obviously, because they have their future in the wings and Jordan Love. They're not going to extend their 37-year-old quarterback for the next three or four years because they want their rookie quarterback that they took last year to eventually play. So with the Packers being what they are, they brought back their same team. Obviously, Corey Lindsay, their center's not there anymore, but they brought back Kevin King. They re-signed Aaron Jones, which was a shock. Are you willing to say that that's their ceiling as well, or are they – a couple of draft picks away from finally breaking through and representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. No, I think that the NFC championship is a generous ceiling for the Packers this year. Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that is currently what the Green Bay Packers front office is doing. Um, other teams in the NFC are getting better. The 49ers are getting healthy. The Rams just traded for a much, much better quarterback and are bringing back pretty much the same team with the exceptions of, you know, uh, John Johnson and someone else. Um, the Buccaneers are running it back with the same exact team that won the Super Bowl. That's the difference between them and the Packers. Um, so I, I really don't see success in Green Bay this season. In fact, I think that this might be Rogers' final year as a Packer. And if not, he'll play out his contract until 2023. And Jordan Love will be given one year to prove himself um, under the fifth-year option. So Rodgers had an MVP season last year. It was phenomenal. But it's been safe to say the last two years he's played, although he was great his MVP season, he's not the same quarterback anymore. And it's human nature. He's 37. He's not going to have that zip and pinpoint accuracy off platform consistently like he did six years ago. Now, um, the narrative that a lot of Aaron Rodgers fans have had is that why did they get Jordan Love? 
the year before when he was never showing signs of decline, which I don't think is true. When they wound up and got blown out by the San Francisco 49ers, he was not good the month of December that year. Obviously, he was able to turn the corner and be much more productive late in the season last season. But it's safe to say the past two years, that offense has went as far as Aaron Jones has taken them. They've been a lot more balanced and run-centric. As Rodgers' decline somewhat continues, is Detroit, not Detroit, is Green Bay a complete enough team to be able to get past that and at least continue to fulfill their ceiling? You know, I'm going to have to disagree with that on a few levels. I agree that, you know, Rodgers has lost some of his speed, and that's been reflected in the amount of throwaways he has. Um, but Aaron Jones really isn't all that special. I think that the credit should go to the offensive line, who's been really stellar um, these years with Elgin Jenkins and David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley, who's now left. Um, I think that that's where the credit should go. And as far as Rodgers go, I can't really – I don't really think that you can say – that he's declining, coming off of an MVP season, beating out guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Um, I really don't think that he's going to be the issue in Green Bay. I think that it's going to be the lack of depth at cornerback and linebacker and the fact that they still haven't addressed that they can't really stop the run. Cornerback has been an issue for them the past few years. While they hit home on Jair Alexander, who during his draft process went from one of the best corners in his class to kind of declining during that draft process. They've missed with Kevin King and they've missed with Josh Jackson. Is it very influential that Green Bay in this draft hits home on a cornerback two that at least defenses have or opposing offenses have somewhat of respect towards to where when he gets targeted, he can hold his own or do they continue to try to get by with the cornerback situation that they have now and just hope that, likes of Rashawn Gary and other pass rushers on the D-line, continue to develop and provide enough rust to protect their weak secondary? Quite frankly, I don't think that the Packers have much of a choice. Um, you can't draft a cornerback and expect him to be, you know, the next Jalen Ramsey or next Jair Alexander. Very, very few cornerbacks come out of college looking pro-ready. We saw that in Jeff Okuda this year who was phenomenal his uh, last season at Ohio State, but really struggled in the NFL. Um, and the only cornerback that that didn't really happen to was um, Jalen Ramsey. So I think that the Packers are going to look a uh, wide receiver or linebacker this draft. Um, and I think that they're expecting Kevin King to hold his own. I think that they're expecting Channing Sullivan to continue to develop and step it up. And of course, Jair Alexander to play the same brand of football he's been playing. And I'm going to go into receiver. The narrative has been outside of Devontae Adams. No one else has really been able to step out, well, step up enough to Rodgers to trust. Once the games get bigger, we get deeper in the postseason. And opposing defenses bracket coverage will Adams to the point where you have to go to another avenue to get a completion across. Alan Lazar seemed to be that guy early on in the year. He got hurt after the Saints game. And when he came back, he was never really the same. Marquez Valdez-Scanlon has been hit or miss throughout his young career. Do you expect Green Bay management to finally dig deep and draft a receiver that everybody thought they should have took last season in a this year receiving class that is relatively deeper than receiving classes of past times? I think that Green Bay will look for a wide receiver in this draft, whether that's in the second round with a guy like uh, Diami Brown. Forgive me if I'm saying that wrong. 
or a guy in the first round like uh, Kadarius Tony. Uh, Alan Lazard, I've been very critical of him. I think he's horrible at wide receiver, but I've actually been very, very high on uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. There's sometimes where he looks like a faster version of Julio Jones, and sometimes where he looks like um, a JV uh, high school wide receiver. I think that he can be a good enough number three wide receiver with somebody uh, coming out of the draft to really elevate uh, Green Bay's offense to that next level. So eventually, Green Bay's window, we both acknowledge, will close forever with this assortion of a team. Jordan Love is eventually going to be their quarterback of the future. The last time they've had a similar situation like this, when Brett Favre was inevitably forced out by the organization, Aaron Rodgers took the helm. It worked. It was a lot of questions, but it eventually worked long term. The narrative about Jordan Love has been he struggled behind the scenes to where he got demoted into being quarterback three. Is there enough belief and confidence in your eyes that he can eventually become, it doesn't have to be Rodgers, but a productive enough of a quarterback where Green Bay stays postseason relevant in his era of football? Jordan Love fits my blueprint of being mobile and having a strong arm. However, the narrative that he is like Aaron Rodgers taking over Brett Favre's job is pretty silly. Aaron Rodgers was really the best best quarterback coming out of that draft, even though that wasn't reflected at pick number 24. That's really because at the time, no other um, organization needed a quarterback. That was not true for Jordan Love. Um, the Packers really, really reached on love because they're so worried about building a future after Rodgers leaves. Um, I think that Jordan Love's success or failure will be a reflection of who Matt LaFleur truly is as a coach. Is he good enough to elevate a team um, when you're not playing with the top five quarterback of all time? Um, we'll see. And that's something else I wanted to touch base on LaFleur and Green Bay's DC. I don't know if Peyton is still there. Let's talk to LaFleur on the offensive side. Um, when he's come and provided to Green Bay the last two seasons has been balanced. They've ran the ball a lot more consistently than they ever did towards the later stages of the McCarthy era. They've ran it pretty well and they've shown signs towards, you know, the latter half of the season when they run the ball at a particularly high clip. They win when they kind of stray away from balance and rely on Rodgers to take him over the top. They struggle because the consistency outside of receivers not named Adams hits and misses a lot. Um, do you feel like there's more LaFleur can do to help this team fulfill its ceiling as an offense, or are they are what they are, and it really just comes down to the players that's on his team stepping up and living up to their career billings as individuals? I mean, here's the thing. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, I'm a big fan of that saying. And when Green Bay was the number one statistical offense in the league, I don't think that LaFleur should really stray away from what he was doing. It was a lot of play action bootlegs. And when you have a quarterback like Rogers going to make the throw 10 out of 10 times, I think that that's okay. Um, the struggles really just came on the long balls with Valdez Scantling making crucial drops against um, the Bears comes to mind. Uh, and the 49ers, maybe, I'm not so sure, but Valdez Scantling 
needs to fix his drop problem. And if he does that, I think that LaFleur's scheme is going to be a lot more successful and they won't really need to run the ball uh, 25 plus times with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Defensively, you shook your head when I said it. Penn's not their DC anymore. And when he was, it just always felt like Green Bay defensively never lived up to the billing. And I always looked at them as a defensive unit as being one of the more talented rosters in all of football, but they never consistently played like it. Um, on the defensive line, we know the, the the greatness of Kenny Clark, but Zendarius Smith was the one that consistently got to the quarterback. And as great as Clark is, they always would struggle against the run. And in the secondary, Jair Alexander continued to showcase his growth and blossom. But everybody else from the defensive backfield struggled in Wayne. They kind of rotate into, are we a man press coverage team? Do we play off ball? Let's play some zone. Where I just felt like personnel-wise, they probably weren't any of those things. With the new regime of defense coming in to coordinate that defense, can they finally live up to their roster building in terms of talent? Or will it continue to be uh, up and down pendulum of inconsistency for this Green Bay defense? I'm going to guess they're going to continue their inconsistency. The guy they hired is, in my opinion, a lot worse than Mike Pentantine, who I thought got way too much hate. Um, this guy ranked like 29th and 28th in his tenures with Washington and another team that I forget. They really hired him because of uh, his connections to Brandon Staley, uh, the former defensive coordinator for the Rams. I think that it was a mistake to A, hire him and B, fire Pentantine when really the defense was doing its job. Even in the Buccaneers game, that was probably a poor, the scoreboard was probably a poor reflection of how good of a job they did against Tom Brady, Mike Evans, uh, that top one offensive line, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin. Um, if not for the Kevin King botched touchdown, if not for Aaron Jones coughing up the ball on the 15 yard line, that's 14 points, and they just tell the Buccaneers to somewhere in the 20s. So I think that the Packers will actually regress on defense. And to the Vikings, they were one of the teams that I said coming into last season wouldn't make the playoffs, and they didn't. They actually had a season I expected them to have. They lost to Fawn Diggs, and – wasn't that huge of a miss because Justin Jefferson played out of his mind. But defensively, they got younger in the secondary, and that you showed the first half of the season. It got relatively better. But while we do know Cameron Dancer has high upside, Jeff Gladney probably won't play in the NFL again after the things he did recently. And so when we look at this Vikings team, there was a rumor that I saw on you guys' um, IG page, Daniel Hunter wants a contract extension or else he wants to get traded. And it's safe to say that this is Kirk Cousins is probably last year with the team. They've missed the playoffs two of the three years he's been their starter. And so the biggest question with Minnesota, they're probably the second most talented roster in the division. Do they get back to the playoffs or is it more of the same that happened last season? I think that they'll make the playoffs and I'll do you one better. I think that they won the division. I think that their offseason additions, Patrick Peterson, who I think is really underrated, is going to help that young secondary both, you know, just playing with him and as a mentor. Um, Patrick Peterson's coming off of statistically a very bad year for him. And that's really because of the scheme that was being run in Arizona. They tend to run a lot of man-to-man, while Peterson's not a man-to-man corner, he's his own zone. And if Mike Zimmer isn't as useless as I think he is, 
I think that he'll be able to create a defensive scheme to help Peterson and help the other young cornerbacks. Um, they just signed Mackenzie Alexander, who's going to be a great slot guy for them, as well as a great culture guy for him. And as we alluded to earlier, Cam Dantzler is a stun. That being said, they're also going to have a better pass rush with Emil Hunter, who I think is one of the best pass rushers in the league. Um, their new addition of Delvin Tomlinson, who's going to really help them in the run and pass rush game, and possibly somebody in the draft who's going to line up opposite of Hunter. Um, that's really also going to help their secondary because the quarterback's not going to have full day to throw. They're going to make bad decisions, which are going to lead to interceptions, which are going to lead to wins. I agree. Um, Daniel Hunter was a huge miss for them last year. He got hurt, never really played consistently throughout the season. And when he wasn't in the lineup, they suffered when it came to run defense and pass rush as well. Um, you did allude to Patrick Peterson and McKenzie Alexander coming back. Um, I think the McKenzie Alexander pickup was huge and underrated. While he never consistently got the interceptions that, you know, everybody expects corners to have, he sound in the slot is always in the area and makes the play. Peterson, in my opinion, I think his best days are behind him. And, you know, I do hope that, like you said, in the zone system with Zimmer, he's being able to utilize his range, his experience and awareness to still be somewhat of a productive entity, but to expect him to probably come into secondary and be that, you know, in-play player that he used to be probably won't happen. Inevitably, it comes down to Kirk Cousins. When they gave him that guaranteed contract, everybody knew with that type of money you needed him to win a Super Bowl. And everybody knew deep down in their hearts he was never going to win one. For him not to reach the playoffs two of the last three seasons, is it more of an indictment on him as a player or the team in general? Because a lot of people that support Cousins always allude to statistically his numbers are up there with one of the higher echelon QBs in all of football, but it never truly translates to winning games when it counts. So winning games, in my opinion, is really, it's a team statistic, not a quarterback statistic. That's why I think Peyton Manning is the GOAT, but we can talk about that later. Um, Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback statistically. However, there are really 10 other guys that I'd, I'd rather have than him. Um, he has the personality of a kindergarten teacher, and I don't think that that's great for the Vikings, especially when your leader is supposed to be your quarterback. However, I think he's overhated. I think that the offensive line in front of him is horrible. And he's doing a very good job um, correctly utilizing Thielen and Jefferson. I do agree. That offensive line behind him has not done him any favors. When you look at the receiving position with the Vikings, they hit with Jefferson. Thielen has been a find himself throughout his career. But they've also found something in Dalvin Cook past two seasons you showcase why he was highly regarded coming out of florida state the issue was the injuries and the issue at the pro level has been the injuries um for the sake of the vikings how important is it for cook to continue to stay in the lineup so he can fulfill his fullest potential as a talent which will coincide to that team living up to playoff expectations Cook is undoubtedly the biggest part of the Vikings offense, and that's mainly because of the scheme that's been run in Minnesota for so long, which is a bootleg scheme where the defense has to worry about the run first because Dalvin Cook is so good. And if they um, 
you know, if they commit to the run, then that leaves the pass game open. And when you have two very good receivers like Jefferson and Thielen, that's when the Vikings can beat you over the top. Um, that being said, I'm also a big believer in Alexander Madison. Uh, Madison averages actually more yards per carry than Cook. However, when Cook is um, injured, it, it definitely would take a big blow to the Vikings offense. Mike Zimmer last year got a lot of flack in terms of job security. And while he has a ton of friends in the industry that love him, a lot of guys who used to know him when he used to be a part of those great cowboy teams in the 90s, swear by him with undying loyalty. What was the disconnect in terms of him as a coach that helped establish those rumors? And even as we head into this year, it's safe to say he is a guy that's on the hot seat. Um, why has it become that recently? And what can he do to change that? Obviously, besides winning football games. Right. So the NFL is now in a spot where it's an offense and quarterback first league. And in order to win games, you have to have another you know, star quarterback. In order to have that star quarterback, you have to draft well. However, these raw guys like Patrick Mahomes, who are coming out of college with a rocket launcher on their arm and, you know, uh, wheels for legs, um, they need really good coaching. And that really good coaching comes from guys like Andy Reid, who are quarterback whizzes. And in order to, you know, be a good coach, it's now become that you have to be a quarterback whiz, something that Mike Zimmer is not. And that's why I've been so critical of Mike Zimmer, not because I think he's a bad coach or a bad person. He's just past the time of the league. I think he would do much better as a defensive coordinator. And the Vikings, you know, they go out and hire um, someone like Brian DeBole, who can either help Kirk or whoever's next in line. So quite frankly, I don't think that the blame should go to Mike Zimmer. I think the blame should go to the direction of the NFL. I agree. You know, the time that they got Zimmer, um, the Vikings needed a culture change. Um, after that tenure, that year where under Brad Childress and Brett Favre, they went to the NFC Championship game and lost, they reverted back to being pedestrian. And we got a guy in Zimmer. He made the defense a lot better, made them a lot of physical, tougher team. And it worked. It helped him get back into perennial playoff contention. But like you said, recently, um, the league has passed the team by. Um, as great as Kirk Cousins is, their offense is very archaic at times, generic. And when you see these explosive offenses that are predicated off of spread, pace and space and up-tempo and uniqueness, McVay, not McVay, but, you know, Zimmer is just isn't able to match those alignments at all. And so for all four of these teams, talked about and established in this division. Let's focus on the draft that's coming up in its totality. Which ideal player would fit for these first fit for these teams when it comes to making their first draft pick on the opening night of draft night? Um, I talked about this earlier for the Lions. I think that they really need to build that defense from the ground up. I think that that starts with Micah Parsons, who really has the ability to be, you know, one of the top five guys in this draft class. For the Packers, I think that it's probably a wide receiver to pair opposite Adams, because as I said, it is really hard to hit on the cornerback position. That being said, I wouldn't mind if J.C. Horn was sitting there and they got him, um, because that's, in my opinion, a steal. Uh, for the Vikings, they really need help at offensive line. I was making a graphic today 
about their roster pre-draft, and my God, is that offensive line dreadful. They cut their best left tackle, and I really hope that they can find a guy like Rashawn Slater to replace him because that would be absolutely massive for Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook and that entire team. Um, as for the Bears, they're in a really tricky spot because most of the guys who are there, like the guys who will help their team, will be gone by pick 20, whether that's Tevin Jenkins or Christian Derisaw or uh, one of those top quarterback prospects. So either they need to trade up and pick Justin Fields, who is slipping for reasons I don't know, or trade back and um, try to just accumulate as many picks in the top 125 as possible and get a third wide receiver for uh, Andy Dalton to have as many weapons as possible and probably another cornerback just for insurance in case Bill Dorr and Shelley don't pan out. You're very high on Mike Parsons and outside of his character issue situation, which will only inevitably see if it translates to the pro level due to what he does in the offseason. Um, the knock on Parsons that I've heard from a collection of people is he's athletic, but at Penn State, he never really did anything particularly well. How do you feel in terms of his athleticism correlating to the pro level? He'll fit in a team like Detroit, which I'm not sure, are they going to be a 3-4 defense? Will they be 4-3? Do you have questions or are you confident that he could be able to cover somebody in space? Uh, be a consistent run filler, be a Mike type linebacker that inevitably is the quarterback of a defense is able and is able to get guys in alignment because we saw with Isaiah Simmons when he got drafted by Arizona, it took him a while to find his niche and be an outside backer within that defense. Do you see a similar transition for Parsons as well? Tough at first, but inevitably as his rookie season goes on, he finds his rhythm and groove and fits into uh, NFL defensive culture? Honestly, I see a pretty seamless transition um, for Parsons. As I said before, he reminds me a lot of Roquan Smith, somebody who just flies around the field, makes great tackles, is fast enough to be really, really good in coverage. Um, really, my only concern is that he's towards the lighter side, so he might get knocked around in the run game. But that's okay if, you, if you're able to pair him up with, um, you know, a bigger linebacker and even better draft someone like Christian Barrymore out of Alabama, who's really one of the best defensive players um, coming out of this draft class, maybe in the second round. And before we go, I want to touch base on a few, few topics, NFL topics outside of the NFC North region. Just want to see your perspective and going to keep it on a draft tip as well. Um, Atlanta has talked about trading outside of the fourth pick for a while. And while it does seem as if they're going to stay with Matt Ryan for the next few years, do you think it's a smart decision for their franchise? And if they are willing to trade out, which team would be the most ideal that they would trade down with and feel comfortable in terms of the compensation they would get back as a franchise? Unless they want to get Kyle Pitts, which I would be okay with, because frankly, I think he's the best player in this draft class. I think that it makes sense for them to trade back. Um, they don't need a quarterback because they have Matt Ryan, who is still capable of playing at a very high level. There's nobody else really there outside of uh, Kenai Sewell. And again, they, they already have a very good offensive line. Um, so that struggle for Atlanta really comes at defense. And because um, of all of the quarterback teams this draft, I think that the defensive guys are going to start to slip. 
Um, so whether that's the Washington football team, who reports came out today, they were ready to trade a boatload of picks um, to trade up and get someone like Trey Lance, or the Chicago Bears who need to win now or else their entire staff is fired. I'd be good um, as Atlanta trading with either of those teams. And this is where the Justin Fields situation potentially comes in. His stock has been very odd. Um, he, everybody's going to the Indiana game. Everybody's talking about the Northwestern game. No one is bringing up the fact that he did have a wrist injury during those time periods. So his play wasn't, wasn't really the same. But before that, he came on strong. And we're at a point now where it kind of seems like the Niners could actually take Mac Jones and Fields may even link around the bottom half of the top 10. Why do you think it's come to that? And will this be a blessing or a curse for Fields as an individual in terms of fit for his NFL career? I think that this is a tough question. I think that it's a curse if he goes to the Jets. I think that it's a blessing if he goes to Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. However, Mac Jones really does seem to be their guy. And I said way earlier, I think Mac Jones is a Hall of Famer um, with Kyle Shanahan. So I think he's going to slip to, again, a really quarterback needy team, someone who's going to trade a lot for him. So I think that it will be a blessing for him. He's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. Again, I don't understand why he's um, sliding. He has elite speed, a 4-4-40 for a quarterback. That's unreal. He has, he has the arm strength. He makes the big time throws, you know, just look at the Clemson game. Um, and he's a leader. He played through that injury, um, even though he looked like he really shouldn't be out there. So I don't know why Fields is slipping. I think overall it'll be a blessing for him, but I do hope he finds success wherever he goes. At the receiver position is ultimately on the more deeper aspects of the draft. Um, you can't go wrong in terms of who you take, whether it's Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith. Which one of these receivers do you feel like, whether it's the guys I mentioned or the guys I haven't, feel like is going to be a bona fide star from day one and will translate rather seamlessly at the next level? I think Rashad Bateman is going to emerge as the best player, or sorry, not best player, best wide receiver from this draft. His, his ceiling reminds me a lot of Devontae Adams. Um, he's really able to do everything. His route running fantastic. He doesn't drop balls. He's really everything you want in an NFL wide receiver. While all of the other guys have knocks on them, Bateman really doesn't. I like Bateman as well. Um, he, get, he reminds me a lot of, I wouldn't say Adams, but I would say Mike Evans in terms of size, deep threat ability, explosive, whatnot. He was very productive on a team in Minnesota that – during his time there, when they had a full season, helped them emerge into uh, a perennial contender in the Big Ten, something that they haven't had as a program for a while. Kyle Pitts has gotten a lot of love as being the versatile weapon. Um, but there are questions about his ability to be a true tight end in terms of an inline blocker, or in essence, will he be our modern-day version of Shannon Sharp, a tight end that's lined up in the slot 90% of the time because he's another receiver out there to be a weapon. Do you believe the Kyle Pitts hype immensely or could you see him being a good player, but not living up to the type of ability that everyone is expecting him to be? I think he's going to be unreal. Um, he's a monster. I don't care if he's not good at blocking because he is probably 
the number one wide receiver weapon. He's too big for a cornerback. He's too fast for a linebacker. And you can't really match a safety up on him because he will run right by them and jump right over them. Um, I think that the Shannon Sharp comparison is a really good one. I think that he's the more athletic Shannon Sharp. And if that says anything, he's a more athletic Hall of Fame. For sure. And going back to the quarterback room, we know Trevor Lawrence is going first. Um, the guys that have emerged out of nowhere, it used to be Lawrence and Fields for seemingly since they were in high school. Now it's Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Out of those two, which one of those individuals do you feel is going to fulfill the type of hype and expectations tons of draft analysts have given them and which one of those two will probably dip and decline back to their true means in terms of quality players, but not the franchise type guy that you expect somebody to be at that position if you're going in the top 10. I think both of them will be good. I'm a huge believer in um, Mike LaFleur, the brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. He's now the offensive coordinator down in New York. And I think when, um, what's his name? Uh, Zach Wilson eventually gets drafted to the uh, Jets, that Mike LaFleur is going to work some of his magic. I think that um, Wilson's also more athletically talented than a guy like Mac Jones, and he's more accurate and has better decision-making than a guy like Trey Lance. So I would rule him out as being a bust. Mac Jones comes with that Alabama knock on him. He's playing with the best offensive line in the country. He's playing with the best receiving duo in the country. He's playing with the best coaches in the country. Um, so if there's going to be a guy that's going to bust, it's going to be Mac Jones. However, I said before, I don't think that's going to happen if he goes to a guy like Kyle Shanahan. And that just is really a compliment to Shanahan of how good he is with quarterbacks. And then the last few teams in the top 10, uh, the Carolinas, the Denvers, the Dallas, Carolina and Denver have quarterback conundrums. Well, Carolina doesn't have a quarterback conundrum anymore. They got Sam Darnold, but Denver still does with Drew Locke. Um, is it inevitable that they're going to have to trade up to get a quarterback that they want, or could they stay pat and have a guy like a Lance fall to them? Or, to shock everyone, they stick with Locke for one more year and invest that ninth pick in fortifying their defense, whether that's the linebacker from Notre Dame or maybe even dabbling in the cornerback market and getting either a far – getting out of the guy from Virginia Tech or Sertan, due in large part because even though they got Fuller, he's reaching 30, you're going to need somebody to inevitably replace him because he's only on a one-year deal. Right. Um, I'd stick with Drew Locke. He has everything I look for in a quarterback. He's mobile, he has energy, and uh, he can throw the ball over mountains. Um, I think that the look for either linebackers and KOH, the guy from Notre Dame, or in corners, whether that's uh, – Sertan, who's my number one cornerback, or even Caleb Fairley, who I would not have an issue with him taking. And then last but not least, Dallas, Carolina too. Um, for Carolina, they got their guy in Darnold. Um, it remains to be seen if Darnold was just a product of ineptitude in New York and he never was able to reach his full, full ceiling, or if he is what I kind of thought he was coming out of USC, which – he gave me a lot of Andy Dalton vibes where everything has to be perfect around him. 
And even then, you will always get an inconsistent ebb and flow of him as a player. For the Panthers, all the Panther fans think for sure they're going to get Kyle Pitts. No one really thinks Kyle Pitts is going to fall that far. Do they continue to build the weaponry around uh, Darnold so he can fulfill his full potential or delve into fortifying their young defense? I remember last year they used all their picks on defense. Do they utilize their first pick in a draft on defense once again? Um, I think that if Pitts is there, they will take Pitts and help out Darnold. And if he's not there, I think that they'll take a cornerback. Um, again, a guy like Sertan or Fairley uh, would all be good picks. And then last but not least on Dallas, um, they've acknowledged as well if Pitts falls to them, potentially they would probably take him to fortify their offense, but it's probably a foregone conclusion that they are either going to get Sertan or Fairley. Um, with Dallas, they were able to re-sign Dak Prescott, but it's still an unknown for this football team. Prescott's back. It's an unknown if he's going to be 100%, and there's also the unknown defensively. Are they going to get better? Uh, they did get Dan Quinn, but with Dan Quinn, it's always been scheme fit for him. He struggled in Atlanta because personnel-wise, they probably weren't a cover three team. Um, For Dallas, if they get Sertan, which more likely they will, is their success going to be predicated off of the fit in terms of defensively their new identity as a as a team? Or is it going to come down to the health of Dak Prescott and his ability to be able to survive a season and live up to his new contract extension? I think it will definitely be because of their defense. And ultimately, I think it will be because of their lack of pass rush um, and ability to stop their run game. Their front uh, four is really, really bad, and people overlook that a lot. Um, Demarcus Lawrence really was not worth his $100 million contract, and I'm a huge believer in that. I thought that he'd throw more touchdowns than Mahomes this year, and I think he was on pace too before he um, you know, shattered his leg. So the success of Dallas, the success of Dallas is going to be dictated by um, their secondary play by their um, pass rush. With that, it's going to be the end of episode 13. It was great to have you on. And um, before you go, just want to have your thoughts about this episode and, you know, continue to promote your IG content page, NFC North Report, on the way out. Yeah, man, thank you so much for having me on. I really had a lot of fun. Um, I can tell that you guys know what uh, you're talking about here. So I look forward to listening to uh, more episodes as always, uh, if you're not already following me, please drop a follow on NSC Report. With that, you guys, we're out for episode 13. I'll be back next week with a 14th episode. Um, you heard the guy follow him, you know, follow me too, and uh, stay tuned. Peace. See ya.